All right, we're live. Welcome to State of Cloud Native. We're going to be talking about what's new in the lab with Esten, and then we'll talk a little bit about bare metal and edge. We'll give everyone a minute or two to come in. We got uh, some new setup going. Uh, we got ArgoCon yeah. in the background. Like I'll, <laughs> I'll plug some ArgoCon at the end. It's coming up, uh, well, not this weekend, but next weekend, right? Yeah, like, so shiny next lights. Weekend. We, we got KubeCon coming up in October, too. Yep, KubeCon, ArgoCon. All the cons coming up. I think everyone's starting to go to go to things again. So uh, I think uh, I won't be at ArgoCon, but I will be at KubeCon. We will have some people uh, at ArgoCon that you can reach out and talk to. Mm -hmm. So you'll be at you'll be at KubeCon. I'll be at KubeCon. Okay, I'm looking forward I to being wrong. man in the booth. This, this is my first time as at KubeCon as a vendor. Oh really? You've yeah. always gone as someone who's like looking. I've always for, gone as someone as, as the vendee. <laughs> oh nice. All right, so I guess we can. I think we've given everybody a minute or two. Like, if anyone has any questions or anything, feel free to post them in chat or post them as a comment. Um, I'm gonna give like another minute or two. Yeah, just to get some people coming. We can shoot. In. All right, so <laughs> so you'll be at the booth. You'll be at the booth at uh at KubeCon. Yep, I'll I'll be doing some booth duty and maybe go maybe take in a couple of talks here and there and. But uh, my goal is to talk to people. Submitted talks, but I mean it's hard to get it's hard to get on the. Uh, <laughs> On the agenda, right? Like, I think a bunch of us submitted some talks, but uh, definitely, definitely hard. I don't think I've ever been accepted uh, there yet. How many of you? How many times you submitted this time? I've, and submitted, last I've year? submitted once to once Just to KubeCon so far. Um, okay, and yeah, I think that the topic I was really interested in was uh, was Kubernetes TLS, and gotcha. I think they they felt that that was that was covered enough. So it's been covered. We've got like twenty videos on that. Not really twenty, <laughs> but. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and uh, get started then. Let's go ahead and start talking about your uh, lab environment. So I think the, the first question, well, let me introduce everybody. I'm Mike Peterson, technical marketing engineer at Platform 9. This is, you can go ahead and introduce yourself if you want, or I can introduce yep. you. So, so I'm, I'm Esten Rye. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a DevOps engineer on the, on the operations team at, at Platform 9. So, uh, and I'm an avid home labber. Awesome. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. Like a lot of the home lab stuff kind of applies to work lab and then bringing it to work. So it's a good place to mess around. So, okay. So what's new in the lab and have you picked up any new hardware? So what's different since the last time we talked about a month, maybe a month, yeah. month and a half ago. So, I mean, what's different since the last time I, I've done it is there, there hasn't been a whole lot of change in the lab lately. Um, but I did, I did get some new hardware, uh, that's coming, that's coming. It should be coming next week sometime. Um, uh, but I, I've, I've been really kind of wanting to move my focus to more bare metal Kubernetes and start experimenting with Kubevert and some of the and and more uh, experiment more with Argo. Um, and so part of that was like, well, I need I've got these three Dell R610 compute nodes, which have like 24, 24 virtual threads, you know, you know, on, across two two physical processors and. You know, and we've got 192 gigs of RAM each in a, in them, and probably like four terabytes worth of storage. And so I start, I'm starting to look at like how do I start bringing this and making it something I can manage. So and and like say, that's pretty beefy. That's a little bit bigger than yeah. some of the stuff you might see in actual uh, labs people are using, right? Like they're so. What's the difference? And I guess with that, so for home lab stuff, you're looking at like, what can I get. What can can I get the biggest thing in the smallest amount of space compared to at the work lab? You're like, okay, let me get a bunch of things in case something fails. Yeah, so I'm trying to get density, um, like uh, because it's not cheap to run a home lab. Uh, if you're running big iron servers like I am at, back there, you can see it. You can see it kind of. Let's see if I can get the yeah. So straight back there, if you look to the right to the right of the the old desktop that I have through the window that where the aquarium that came with the house was. 
you can see my 22U custom built rack. <laughs> and I think you can see, yeah, you can see the mo you can see the monitor right up there. Yeah, I can kind of um, see it. Yeah, there's a little there's a little um, four by three monitor that I that I you know hand plug between the servers whenever I need to see the console. So you got a VGA um, cable still, right? Is that the yeah, I still got a VGA cable. In the house? Um, but yeah, it's it's been a a wonderful little experimentation platform because uh, I've I've built uh, there there have been a lot of things where I've built something on the lab that I've taken back and contributed to to the work environment. So I, I learned something in my free time and I'm like, this is cool. I want to use this at work. It's like and so then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna just take this stuff that I put on my on my GitHub repo and I'm just going to reappropriate it to work. <laughs> So that's pretty cool. So you've got, you said you got new hardware coming in. Do you want to yep. go into that a little bit more? So you, you're, yeah. you've talked about the hardware you have. So what, what's your next step? Like, what are you doing next? So right now you've got big beefy stuff and you're, mm -hmm. you're looking, you're running, right, you're running your controllers and stuff on that right now, right? Yeah. So right now I'm running Proxmox as my virtualization software. Um, and it's, it's fine. It works great. I, I'm perfectly happy with it for, for the most part. Um, no real big issues. Um, and I've, I've played with VMware ESXi and stuff like that. And I like that too. Um, but like Proxmox was easier from a management standpoint for me because I didn't need all the bells and whistles of ESXi. Uh, but like, as I start like looking at what I'm operating on my lab and like the areas of interest that I'm wanting to pursue, um, you know, the Proxmox virtualization is not what I want to keep running on my, on my lab. I want to move it all to be kubernetes based start start digging more into this bare metal focus where i can manage this and so part of that is part of, part of doing that is like okay where how am i going to run my control plane gotcha. does the proxbox limit you a little bit like is it more opinionated and like what it lets you set up or it makes things a little uh, bit different it, than it you doesn't would if you really just... limit me at all like i okay. have so i have a docker container that i that i wrote that spins up an ubuntu 2004 um base image using Packer on Proxmox. And using that container, I then have automation that uh, then applies the Ubuntu CIS level two server um, hardening standard um, and gets me to within seven findings of actually passing it completely um, based on using the, uh, uh, the CIS cat light uh, from the CIS uh, from the from the Center for Internet Security, so they they provide a a a, a an analyzer that I can then um, evaluate the the automated portions of the standard and confirm that I am meeting what I say I'm meeting. So are you are you you think you're more secure at home than you might have been in previous roles at <laughs> other companies, or is that what you're trying to say? Like where people are like, get it done. You need to fix this stuff. I've I've gone around and turned off uh, se linux before so yeah i mean like i mean as far as like one of the things that i i i'm i'm very interested in and both professionally and a little bit personally is how do how do i meet compliance standards while still doing best practices but also doing it from an automated perspective right i don't want to go in every year and collect compliance auditing information because that is the work of droids. I don't need to do the work of droids. I'm smarter than the droids. I want to do the work of, you know, the engineer. And so like, I, I'm, I'm very interested in over-engineering my system so that I can have robots collect all that information so that I can justify to an auditor that says, hey, yeah, I'm secure. 
No, I've yeah. I've I've ticked all these boxes and flags that that the government and and industry and and trade groups want me to check because that's something that they want to pay me for. Um, <clears throat> that's something good to do at home. Like usually, I think uh, often it's time, especially for me. Like I'm avoiding doing anything super secure, but I guess you probably you probably should be right because it's something that's managing inside of you're managing inside of your network and stuff, and you want it to be right. secure. Well, usually I, it's like I need to get this done, <laughs> but now well, you're like. Yeah, I mean, it's like there's a ton of projects that I want to get done, but the, at the same time, the other aspect of it is I don't have, I don't always have time, um, yeah. uh, and like I want to do it where I, I'm a one man shop, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the person who racks and stacks the hardware. I'm the person who installs the operating system. I'm the person who uh, automates the installation of all the software, applies all the updates. Like if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna run a home lab. Like and have it be usable on a regular basis and serve production services to my family, like say our Minecraft server or um, a Plex server or you know um, a family website or a blog or something like that. I need to know that it's reliable and I need to be able to maintain it without having to cut into my five-year-old's um, playtime with daddy. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're at KubeCon right? Like in October and stuff goes down. How are you getting in remote? I'm um, not yet. I'm not I've, yet. <laughs> um, most of my home lab is actually it's it's home lab. It's not exposed to the internet, um, largely because I haven't gone around and set up a WireGuard uh, VPN yet for that. Um, part of it, I think this evolution is I want to drive more of my stuff to Kubernetes because it's just easier to once once you get Kubernetes up and hardened and and configured appropriately, it's just easier from a deployment aspect managing you know layer 7 dns managing um you know availability being able to shut a host down and you know bring it back up again um, was your say is your is there another mac in the house or are you doing like a screen share and then you're, you're hopping on from remote from your mac or Oh, I, I have exactly on the phone one, i have exactly one macintosh in my entire house for work yeah and hey, Plex, is it working? It, Fix it. That's <laughs> the one issued from work. And uh, outside of that, it's mostly Ubuntu 20.04. And then gotcha. um, I have a couple of Windows machines um, because you need a Windows machine in this world as much as I hate to admit it. Yeah. It's good for gaming. <laughs> and that's what I use it for. But I mean, with the Linux subsystem, it's a lot It's a lot better than it was even like mm -hmm. five, ten years ago. Yeah. I, know I, I ran, I ran windows subsystem for Linux for like four or five years on my, on my windows issued laptop with the last company I worked for. Yeah. Uh, it's better than having to install what putty or <laughs> putty wasn't, putty wasn't bad. It just, it's not as, you know, awesome as having a local client that you can execute against. Yeah. All right. So you're ordering some new hardware. Let's, let's move on to the next thing. Are you uh, working on automation, anything for anything at home? Like is everything starting with automation? So you talked a little bit about security. Yeah. What are you automating? What are you using? What tools? So, I mean, again, I, I focus a lot on operating system automation. So trying to get my, I, I, I try to de deploy everything as consistently as possible. So like I build, I use Packer, I use Ansible, I use um, uh, kubectl. Um, I'm using Customize for most of my Kubernetes deployments, actually. I've, I've actually shifted from Helm to Customize uh, a little bit because I find it's a little, uh, actually... That's not quite. Some a might shift. fight you on that. I've seen some it's, that say they love it. Some that just say, "No, I'm just going to keep using Helm." I haven't quite shifted from Helm to customize. It's more like I've, I've found the happy middle, right? So, like, I still use Helm charts. 
um, but I use customize to inject chain uh, to inject the values.yaml and to do any like high level changes on top of it. So on a daily basis, what's the biggest difference between the two? Would you say? Um, the biggest difference that I would say between them is um, with Helm, you're focusing more on the Go templating language. Um, so you're you've got a, a lot more. Um, it, it's gen you're trying to generalize, and sometimes you're, you know, if you're just trying to get something up and running, I, I sometimes feel like you're generalizing prematurely. Because um, like, if you just need to build something that's you know got like X number of values and a dependency, like there's a lot of boilerplate to get a to get a you know a, a like a an app of apps Helm chart put together that you know deploys everything and then at the, you know one of the other things that i found is that it's not as flexible it wasn't as flexible for me when i was starting to try, try and play with argo so say like helm like you're you're probably starting out by just creating something with all the values that you need and mm -hmm. then you go in and you replace those values and you use a configuration thing like that's the learning curve right like you start right. out with just creating a, a regular helm chart then you make them variables then you have this config file so with customize, what's the difference? Is that it's just doing a diff on what you've got deployed versus what you want to change? So, so customize, essentially, it's uh, it's templating, um, except that it it results in a single like cube in a, in like a Kubernetes manifest file. So you're you're operating more from a perspective of I'm operating on raw Kubernetes manifests. Um, which makes it a little bit more powerful, in my opinion, than Helm, because in Helm, you've, you're ever all of your manifests are kind of really built through the template, um, and you've, if you don't if you don't have a value for configuring something and don't add the extra boilerplate around making that thing configurable, well, you're kind of you're kind of SOL. <laughs> So what does that look like for a developer, right? Like for, for Helm, they would just like clone a repository, make some modifications to their configuration file and then get it deployed off of that. So what, what happens with customize? Customize, you're just, you're just doing a clone again and then you're just modifying the actual um, YAML directly. Yeah, so so I, I, put a, I put together kind of a repo that I was playing with and like one of the things that I do and I'll, I got to pull this up so I can reference and, and make it make a, a good... Uh, um, Maybe we'll dive into it so we can actually see the technical stuff on a different stream too, if you want. Yeah. If we can kind of show we can off do that. A longer, um, it'll be awesome. So, so if, if people are interested, they can head out to my personal GitHub repo and and hit the uh, the You're CD home. Somebody, I'll post it. Yeah. Uh, here I'll I, I gotta I'll All put right. this out here. Uh, Make a little caption so everyone can see it in case they want to yeah, hop on. So it's a it's a github.com slash Eston Rye slash CD dash home lab. CD slash home lab. Yeah. You want to send it to me? Send, send it to me on. Uh, no, I'll Slack send it to you. I get. I gotta open up Slack again. Okay. <laughs> so I don't post the wrong thing. Uh, give me one second here. There we go. Found oh, it. Essence GitHub example. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, it's freeform, anyways. If anyone has questions and stuff, well, you you, you set it too for like the uh, the podcast later in case anyone mm -hmm. wants to to go to it. Yeah. So I'll yeah. read it out. So, so kind of, so I dropped dropped the link there in Slack. Yeah, I got it. All right, let me post um, it. All right, so let me show it here in a second. That looks right. Yeah. GitHub.com slash Eston Rye 
slash CD dash home lab. If you're interested in checking it out and you're listening to the audio. Yeah. So, so kind of like at, at the top level, like since I'm running on a Mac or, or even on a Linux machine, like one of the things that like, one of the things that irritates me the most about like going to a repo is like, what tools did you need to put to get, to put this thing together? Right. Yeah. I mean, that just, just drives me nuts when I go into a repo. I'm like, okay, I want to deploy this now, but I have to analyze your repo to figure out how I deploy this. Right. So the, the first thing that I usually do in my repos is I create a brew file, <clears throat> especially if I'm using homebrew for um, package management of my, my local dev machine. And I, I, I basically pull together all of the different components into that brew file. Um, so you're basically so saying that, you're a Mac user, right? I'm a Mac or a Linux <laughs> user. This, this will work me. on Linux too. Yeah. Um, um, uh, and it'll work on WSL as well, as long as you okay. install it. Um, uh, but when you know, the fun thing about this is that I just say I, br I do brew bundle and it installs everything. So I get my kubectl, I get customized, I get YQ, JQ, Helm, cookie cutter, which is a, a templating engine that I use for local templating for, um, uh, spinning up, uh, repost, repost, uh, small little repo snippets, um, I got the Argo CD CLI and the one password CLI because I use one password for my personal uh, so password management. You're pretending that you make this easy for everyone else by doing that, but you're really making it easy for you and you have to come back and do it again, right? Like oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, 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 is, this is as much so that I don't forget how I set up my environment as it is making it easier for some, for, for, for some poor, poor, poor uh, developer coming in behind me. is like, hey, this looks cool. How do I use it? <laughs> You don't want to have like a, a five thousand line like read me so that they can get up oh, to speed. God, no, no, I, I want, I want to, I want to have like a clearly defined sets of like, here, I need these three packages installed before I do anything else. I need to configure my Git stuff. Uh, I need to do uh, install VS Code because, uh, and I want like these extensions installed and like you know. One of the things that I really try to like, I've found over the years of working in industry is that knowing how to set up your environment um, is critical, and doing yeah. how being able to do it quickly. I mean, like, because we're in a bubble too. Because like, I talk to like my cousin and stuff who's not as uh, into this stuff, and he's he hasn't heard of VS Code, right? Like, so there's mm -hmm. people out there like he's an Oracle database admin. I was like, dude, VS Code, just try it out. He's like, oh, I just got plugins for everything. This is awesome, right? Like. You, you, you don't think about it as like outside of our little bubble, not everyone's even using VS Code. Like, I mean, obviously I use VI and stuff on Terminal more, but now like VS Code for everything with SSH tunnels. That's all I do. I'm lazy. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I'm similar too. I use VS Code and I, I put in the, I find the extensions that that make my workspace experience better. And, and that's, and like documenting those and knowing what they are so that if I have, so if my laptop gets stolen or... Um, or my laptop dies and work issues me a new one, I can be productive very quickly. So what theme are you using? Dracula? And why isn't it Dracula? <laughs> are you using Dracula? <laughs> oh, I, 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 I think I'm using uh, uh, so, uh, the just dark the default or dark theme. Yeah, yeah, just the default dark theme. It's, it's good enough. Sometimes I, sometimes so I use the solarized theme. Um, yeah. Uh, but it really just depends on like what's speaking to me at the moment that I'm installing it. And are you bringing up terminal all the time when you're working on it? Like that's how I, that's my oh, yeah. default thing is having terminal up. Like I didn't know it, it, it existed at first. So I was sitting there like SSHing in and like making modifications on terminal. And then I was like, Oh, I can just do terminal here. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of times I'll just have the base, the default terminal there, but uh, there's yeah. a there's also sometimes where I actually prefer a separate terminal. Gotcha. Um, because it gives me that context switch. Um, especially if you have a smaller mm -hmm. screen too, like you might have to do that. But if you oh yeah, especially if you're when you're doing a 4K or something. Eh. I mean, like when I'm on my when I'm working just on the laptop, sitting in my lap, you know, you know, paying attention, you know, kind of like half paying attention to what's going on in the room, but also, you know, half paying attention to what I'm coding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leads to some interesting results. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, when I've got that smaller screen, it, the, the every inch of real estate to put code on is, is important. But like when yeah. I've got it on the, when I'm running the 4Ks, um, you know, I've got tons of room to throw that terminal at the bottom. Yeah, you're not making it bigger, making it smaller, making it bigger, making it smaller, just to be able to read a little bit of right. text that you have up there. Well, that's pretty cool. Let's go on to the next thing. So, uh, I mean, you kind of answered the other one. We'll probably come back well, around well, to you, it, too. Well, you, uh, you kind of wanted to touch on... yeah. You kind of wanted to touch... We, we kind of went on a tangent, but you wanted to touch on, like, how does that look different in... Uh, the customized. Like, yeah, let's go back. You're bringing me back. Different. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I do is I, I, I set up... Uh, when I'm doing my Helm, uh, it's a lot easier for me to set up an entire cluster using Customize. Gotcha. Than it is than it is to do in Helm. Uh, when you say easier, do you mean faster from start to finish, and then easier to figure out like configurations for it, right? Like, what do you mean by easier? I, I mean by what I mean by easier is, um, I find it easier to build up pieces and components, um, while still being able to isolate things into their own specific namespaces than okay. I do in Helm. Um, gotcha. Just because of the way Helm is designed to install its management, all of its management objects into the same namespace as where you're deploying okay. um, using secrets. And so like one of the things that I was was struggling with when I was starting to kind of move towards this app of apps type idea with um, Argo is I was actually running in, I was actually running an older version of Argo and uh, where I didn't have access to modify the home cluster, like the 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 cluster that's running Argo on, which is your okay. database for all of your all of your apps. Like, if you don't have access to modify that, well, it makes it a little bit more difficult. So this is an older version on on platform nine that you're yep. talking about, and then older version so it's getting updated. Nine. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 excited to see where 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 the updates bring us to on that. But I'm sure we'll have more on that later. Yeah, I'm sure we will. <laughs> come to come to ArgoCon, like we've got in the background, and uh, learn about mm -hmm. some of our new stuff. I can plug here's uh, Arlon, so maybe yeah. I'll even post a little caption while you're talking about uh, customize. Yeah, but but so like one of the things that I found like with customize is it allowed me to kind of do a uh, a less sophisticated app of apps plat you know type pattern where I can have a master uh, a master cluster template that I can then include. Um, sub apps into using customize and and have a really nice um, uh, experience in including those apps. So like one of the things I could do in the base is in in the base in the customization.yaml is I can say I want this I want I want this customized template I want this customized template I want this customized template I want this one I want this one I can just list them in about in about eight lines of YAML um and get all of my dependencies installed for uh, my ingress controller cert manager my, set up my cloudflare cluster issuer 
um, set up a, a, a sealed secrets so that I can deliver um, so that I can deliver encrypted platform secrets. So I've, uh, I've, I've barely touched. I've done customize. Like I've looked into it, but I haven't used it. I'm more more versed in Helm. So you're saying customize? Are you still using like little variable tags in there? Or you're using base uh, YAML files, base manifests, and then you're like you have like a uh, dependencies file that says install all of these for my app. Well, and, and so this like is, and so you can do that. You can do, you can just use ba just raw YAML files, and you just, and then you, and then what you do is you do, um, if you want to change it, you would, you build overlays that basically do like a JSON patch format, um, that you can like, you can say, I want to change this value in this in this uh, path in the in the in the manifest, and it'll it'll it gives you a very very robust. Also, very surgical way to change different pieces of of the output manifest. And so, one of the ways I use this is I uh, I I leverage the best of both worlds. Say, wait that, a minute, I, I got to learn JSON now too. Is what you're selling? You're telling me? <laughs> I got to know YAML and JSON. Come on. Uh, well, you, it's more of a it's a it's more specifically. If I can find where I dumped that information. Uh, let's see here. Not there. Uh, Do I need to start writing in Go now too? Is that what's going on? <laughs> Always. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, so like, if you look at a, if you end up going into Explore the Repo and you look in the clusters folder under Overlays, you'll see a couple of uh, different clusters that I manage this way. Um, and then the it's the JSON, it's the patches JSON six nine zero two, um, uh, RFC. I think. I forget. I think it's RFC six nine zero two for using a patch format that uh, you know you best specify your target of what you're trying to modify and uh, and and what your path is and it patches it it customized takes that and patches yeah. it. So customize um, a look at what it is. Take your JSON information and it'll translate it to something that the uh, Cube API can interact mm -hmm. with. Gotcha. The the other fun thing is that um, uh, if Customize is built in the kubectl. Okay. So if, if you, it's not like Helm, which is going to be separate and outside of it. Yeah. yeah. So like, it, it, you know, you don't even have to, like to, you don't even have to download a separate binary to to use to use customize, and that's uh, so you can just do if if you have a customized template, you can do kubectl apply dash k and point it at the directory that holds your customized template, and it will just it will just magically go and deploy. So do you think this is where more people are kind of moving from Helm, and that's why? Because it's just more seems like it's supported by. Uh, this, I mean, customize is actively supported by the by the Kubernetes uh, uh, SIG. I, okay. I think it's SIG CLI. Um, that makes sense. So you know that it's and it's built into it's been built into kubectl I think for a few versions now. Gotcha. Um, but like the fun thing that I do with this is that. Uh, I can leverage the best of both worlds with Helm and 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 customize. Like I like if you if there's a Helm template out if there's a Helm chart out there that does ninety percent of what you need to do, and you only want to change like the five percent that they didn't that the developer didn't bother to give you the the things to go and touch. Um, what you can do is you can actually use you can actually specify uh, a Helm uh, inflation. Uh, it's called a Helm inflation generator, which will um, basically take the the chart, the 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 chart repo, the chart uh, name, the version, and any values that you're going to pass into it, and it will 
hydrate the the Kubernetes manifest locally on your on your machine, and then once it's done hydrating it, it then lets you apply customized modifications to it. Which so this is VMware uh, physical or bare metal to a virtual machine is what you're saying. This is a migration. It's not. It's, it's just it's not a, that. I'm just messing with you. Yeah. yeah, but but I mean, what's what's fun about that is that I I can I can use the existing Helm charts gotcha. that are out there. So it's easier to I migrate can, over. Is what you're saying for people that are already using Helm all the time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even I'm not even talking about migrating. I'm talking about living in both worlds. Using right? both. Okay. I mean, like, because there's no point in me rewriting the Ingress engine and the Ingress Nginx Helm Helm chart. It's a fantastic Helm yeah, chart. It's true. But there's just some a couple of things that I want to tweak or modify that are just easier to tweak or modify and customize. So we should have called this one all about customize, I think. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Oh. Though. Like, I'm interested to know the difference. Like, I, I've had some friends talk about, like, oh, I'm going to try customize. And like, well, are you going to do that? I'm just using Helm. Just use Helm 3, right? Like, it, it's yeah. good to go. I mean, and you've Helm already built great. all my infrastructure on it. Yeah. I, I started most of my most of my Kubernetes de you know, development using Helm 3. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's still like if I, you know, I still like it as a tool, but as I've started exploring customize and started exploring Argo, there's, um, it's more yeah. declarative than it is imperative. Um, okay. in, in my, you know, I mean, Helm is fairly declarative, but it's only declarative once it gets deployed to, you know, the cluster. It's all, I mean, it's interpreted up and until you generate it and, that you know that's that like in here i'm using i have to i have to actually um you know use the generating generate function of customize before i can pass it into kubectl so customize gotcha. just doesn't it it's that's a little bit different there's there's i, I i'm not saying that either tool is better yeah <laughs> Which is why I end up using both. Is because that's like, interesting I, that you can use both. I wasn't thinking about that. Like it's not a, a hard migration over to the other tool. Like that makes it a yeah. little bit better. Especially I mean, if you I'm, I'm not going to fight about like is which better, which tool is better. They're they're yeah. they're both excellent tools, and when used in conjunction with each other, they're even more powerful. So I'll plug two here. Uh, if anyone has any questions or comments or opinions on either two uh, let us know you can comment in the chat or you can uh, comment on linkedin so we're on twitch and youtube right now so just put yeah, it in there and, i should be able to see it thinks i'm full of hot air please yeah. please tell me <laughs> he's like oh that's all wrong i'll pull my finger <laughs> uh, so i'm not you asked the question vi versus emacs right or versus no um, i mean nano, the, the, not the same thing the, at there's, all. there's yeah. no question it's vi <laughs> yeah. well it's vs code now I mean, I don't exactly. That, it's VI. VS Code. For, if you need a GUI, it's VS Code. If you need it, if you need it, if you need a text editor, it's VI. <laughs> I don't know how to get out of Nano half the time or Emacs, so I'm just like stuck there. So I actually, I to... actually, there's there's a, a flag on Git where you can specify. Uh, it's a Git. Uh, it's Git config uh, core editor. I specify. Yep. You have to do that every yeah. time you come in, especially. I do that every time, time. I'm coming on a machine. I yeah. change it to I change it to VI because I'm like, like. Ugh. Why is this? Why is this so much? Uh, why? Uh, yeah. Meh. So Get you're starting your lab out with customized this time, and what else are you using? You said you're using Ansible and stuff. So yep. Let's see. Where, let's start at the, at the beginning. So what are you doing first? Are you are you starting bare metal automation to where you're like pixie booting and then loading a cloud image and then booting your servers now, or is that still kind of? So manual? I haven't gotten to pixie booting yet. Um, okay. Uh, most most of what I what I end up doing is I have I have Ansible that spins up. Um, a bare image ISO uh, with a with a cloud init ISO. 
And so then I, I, I take those two ISOs and I, I map them to two USB sticks. I plug both USB sticks into the machine. I push the power button. Gotcha. And then it comes up with, you know, uh, I have it set up so that it randomly generates the root password and stores that in the Ansible, you know, directory locally so that I can put it into one password. And so then you have a cloud uh, config and stuff with some of that data that you're that you're doing. So you just plug it in and go. Yeah, yeah. So I pl just plug it in and go. It sets up all of my SSH key trust, um, so like I don't have to worry about using passwords to log in. It's just all SSH configured. Gotcha. So that's your your first step. So you're doing that. You get all your servers booted up. Uh, then what are you installing on top of it? You're Proxmox before, but what are you going to do now? So um, right now it's going to be Ubuntu 20.04 until I get around to doing Ubuntu 22.04. Um, okay. Uh, you know, I, I want to move to 22.04 just because it's going to be up, updating, but I'm also kind of limited to what is Platform 9 supporting. Um, at, Have you, you messed know, around with CentOS or what, Rocket now? Have you changed? I'm, I'm not going to go with Rocky Linux. I did CentOS yeah. 7 for a while. At, at my last company and like the the challenge i have is like rocky linux is still a bit new for me to want to run production infrastructure on it yeah and then uh and and the other aspect of it is, is that centos always followed behind rel which was great from a stability perspective but if you wanted any like new new yeah. features <laughs> or if your developers want new features, or if you're you're running, or if your developers want a newer kernel version, or you know, or Docker happened to fix a bug in Docker Swarm that you know was due to a kernel patch, and you need that new kernel patch to deploy it. I mean, it's just, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not bleeding edge enough. Yeah, for me to want to run a, a version behind. So you're running, sorry, so you install Ubuntu, you're going to do 22.04 eventually, and then these are your your large machines, and then you're going to get some additional machines you, you recently yep. you recently purchased. So you want to talk about that? Yeah. So I'm so I went on eBay, I went on eBay, and I was like, man, you know, I I really need to listen. Like I want to do this all bare metal. I don't want to have to deal with any virtualization if I can avoid it. And I'm like, but I don't want to dedicate like one of my big iron servers to being my master because that's that's a that's a, a an atrocious waste of hardware <laughs> or have a v have multiple vms where you've split it up and you're doing that right, right. like i mean the, the the other aspect was uh, as uh, as i leave one of my nodes with proxmox on it and split it up in vms but then i have a single point of failure yeah right and if the if the if the management plane control you know virtualization host goes down then i i'm i'm sol because uh, I can't access any of the API servers, and then uh, the other as another aspect of it I looked at, it was like, well, okay, I could do Proxmox across all of my nodes, and then cluster it, and then get the high availability and and that sort of stuff. But then I'm like, well, if I'm doing that, and and like I don't have like really heavy requirements at home. Like I yeah. want, I at most I maybe need one or two Kubernetes clusters. You'd you know, rather probably use up all that space for Kubernetes if you can. Just yeah, so you if, can I, like... if I can deploy, if I can get it to the point where you, my only infrastructure requirement is get a Kubernetes cluster up and running, and then once I have the Kubernetes cluster up and running and benchmarked and 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 secured to my to my heart's content, and then I and then everything else I can manage with a with a with a combination of Helm and and customize, and Argo, like. The the idea of my, like I really want to get to the point where I'm deploying everything with Argo. Like, <laughs> what's the 
what's the first thing you're gonna set up with Argo? Like, what are you gonna um, play first? So my thought is that I'm gonna get my bare metal cluster up, and then I'm okay. gonna join it to. Uh, I'm jumping ahead. I'm, let's, yeah. let's go. Yeah. So how many so, how many uh, controller nodes are you gonna have? So I'm gonna have five control plane nodes, and I got a really great deal on eBay. So eBay is like my favorite little grocery store uh, yeah. for te for technology. It's like your Circuit uh, City. Yeah, like because. <laughs> I, I want these. I want these to be control point nodes, and because they're going to be control point nodes, they're not going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting. It's they're they're going to be doing API API server calls. Uh, maybe they might run some monitoring or or logging framework. I'm not sure. Um, so what kind of hardware specs, right? Like so, like you're doing this for the home lab, but like say you're say you're like a retail front or something like that, and you've got like a little area in the back that you can put stuff up, and you want high availability. Yeah. Uh, you're doing five. Why why five? So five small like. Uh, Nuts so these, these, like are, these of... are Intel Celerons, 1.8, I think they're like 1.8 gigahertz with four cores, four threads, um, and a max of eight gigs of RAM per node. All right, so, and that should be plenty to run the Cube API and everything else that you need, it's, right? Like, it's more than enough to run the Cube API. <laughs> so you're going to run um, those as your controllers, and then you're going to have these more dense nodes as your worker nodes. Yep. Right, and so the idea... Yeah. So the idea. So I've got three workers. I may move it to four, depending on how 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 happy I end up being with Rook and Seth. Um, so I'm gonna end up spent. I'm gonna end up. Uh, I have actually just sitting right here next to me. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, these six. I've got six two terabyte solid state drives that are. Oh, I'm, you've been <laughs> that preparing. I'm, <laughs> that I'm going to. Uh, yeah, so I've got six solid state drives, and then oh yeah, I've got oh, more, I've got more I've got more toys too. Where are those? Um, what are you gonna do with all the speed? <laughs> it's it's all like uh, it's more reliability from a stamp. Uh, uh, I want to get to the point where I don't have rotational discs in my lab. Well, you know, I had a I had a dumb moment before where it's like I did not realize I was thinking that the connections for the hot swappables on like front of the DL three sixties was something like a special connection, right? Because it's in the in the cage and all that stuff too. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, I just put some solid states in there. I was like, wait a minute, the connection is different, right? Exact nope. same connection, <laughs> right? Like, so I quickly updated my server downstairs to the lab to solid states and it's been amazing, so much faster, right? Like, yeah, it, well, I mean, and, and these aren't, these aren't like, these aren't NVMEs, they're, they're SATA 6. Was this a um, Labor Day sales or what's going on? You find I, some I on just, sale I, or? I went on Amazon and I was like, I'm like, I want, I'm wanted like, the I was I was toying between a four ter between four terabyte SSDs and two terabyte SSDs, and the difference was like twice like like almost like two and a half times the cost oh, wow. per drive. And so like, you'd rather well, spread that out anyways instead of just having like a yeah, couple of fours. So, like, so you got a bunch of twos. Yeah. So the idea here is I'm gonna get like I'm gonna have I'm gonna start it out with uh, three worker nodes, all all which will end up running Rook and Seth. Um, and, and this will be, these will be two of the, two of the six bays. So I'll have two, like I've got Dell R610s. They come with a uh, six bays in the, uh, in, in the one U chassis. Um, so you have four terabytes per, right? Yeah, like, so what that so like? I'll have, I'll have two, mons. Yeah, I'll have two, uh, all of them, uh, probably a set of mirrored, uh, 256 gigs okay. all drives for the, for the OS boot disc. And then uh, what I'll do from there on out is I'll probably leave two bays empty, and then I'll do two bays with uh, the two terabytes. So I'll have you know each each will have each will have a pair of um, two terabytes so that I can um, uh, then do failure domains across servers. Gotcha. All right. So, so this might even be like overload for like something like 
edge or on prim. I, I guess it's probably better to go solid state just for that speed, anyways. And it's for the reliability from, a, and, from the operational reliability standpoint. Yeah, I, I, is where I look at it. Like, and hard drives are great, but they fail. They're mechanical devices, and a little bit less heat too. Yeah. And so and so the fun thing about solid state drives is you'll have less less vibration, less noise, less um, uh, potential for mechanical failure. Um, but they're they're limited for as far as the number of writes. So eventually they will fail. Yeah. Um, uh, but not for mechanical reasons. It'll it, you know. So it's but it's a little more either, predictable, maybe. I guess you could say. Right? Maybe, like yeah, maybe more predictable. I'm not you know depending on how your write patterns are. Um, but like Which, I'm, I'm looking patterns? at it from a standpoint of like. <laughs> the 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 likelihood of like one once one of my solid state discs failing in probably my operational use case is fairly low yeah um i mean even with the hard drives it's fairly low but you know the aspect of it is, is these these take less power to operate they take they're faster and they're they don't have the mechanical failure properties of rotational hard drives I think the faster part's the nice thing. <laughs> like yeah, just so, bring up and actually be able to do stuff. All right, so let's keep going because we've we've spent so much time on the other stuff because it's so interesting. So you've got you've got that set up. All right, you're gonna have solid states. You're gonna have three worker nodes. Um, now, what are you gonna be running on those workers? So you're gonna have five controllers, three worker nodes. Are those worker yeah. nodes gonna be dedicated to uh, just Kubernetes, or you're gonna run anything else alongside it? So my my thought is uh, is they'll be Kubernetes worker nodes, but they'll run Kubevert on top. Okay. So what are you running in VMs then? What are you what are you going to put on Kubevert? So on Kubevert I'm probably going to put my network my my uh, network controller so I've got a, I've got ubiquity networking gear so I want to I want to put that into probably a VM on Kubernetes. Okay. If not Kubernetes there's there 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 is a helm chart out there for installing the the ubiquity control uh, software controller software on Kubernetes which I'm like that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, eventually, uh, when you get to that right, it's, it'll be easier to stay up. And so you're doing, you're doing, obviously, doing stuff and 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 Rook. You said basically, so you can do yeah. migrations and stuff for the VM if there's an issue with one of the workers. Is that is that one of the main considerations, or are you um, that's storing main, other stuff in there? Yeah. So one of the main considerations. Another one is that um, my Kuber, my currently my Proxmox server is running my Aptmir. Okay. Um, my local Aptmir. <laughs> Um, it's about 600 gigs in size. Um, <laughs> is that is that for when the internet goes out completely and you still want to do stuff? <laughs> it, it's more for accelerating what I'm doing. Okay, to make uh, a little bit it, faster. It's it, it's a pain in the butt to like when I'm when you're building images. It's a pain in the butt to download all of those updates. Yeah. Uh, and because what I do when I build images is I update to the latest patches. And you're so, basically getting like, air gap ready too, right? Like, so if I'm, everything yeah, goes down, you can ready, still like, do it. Yeah. The idea is like, eventually, what I'll have is I'll I'll have my WireGuard um, VPN that lets me access one VPN and uh, one machine inside my network, um, or maybe two, you know, endpoints like one for my my ingress gateway and another for my SSH jump host, which I would need to use in order to do any type of control plane access. Gotcha. All right. So you've got that set up. Uh, so you got Ceph, you got Rook, you're running uh, virtual machines. You're going to be able to migrate them because you're backed by uh, shared storage across the nodes. Mm -hmm. All right. What else are you? So you run Kubernetes. So now we can move up to Argo. So what's the first app you're going to run once you get all this running? 
So once I get once I get that, actually, what I'm planning on using, I'm I'm planning to use Argo to deploy it. Like once I get Kubernetes up and running, like even before I install Rook and Ceph, I'm going to I'm going to connect it to Argo. Okay. Like so, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna use that to use uh, to deploy Rook and then to deploy actually everything. manage stuff. Yeah. Okay, that'll be cool. Uh, are you actually gonna deploy your clusters with it using Arlon, or have you looked into that yet? Maybe in the future. Uh, it depends on. Let me, uh, pop that caption up against ArgoCon. Uh, not this weekend, but uh, I think next weekend, right? So let me pop it in the. Uh... Yeah, it, it, it really depends on like I haven't explored Arlon yet. Um, okay. Largely because our 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 implementation at this point is using uh, is focused on EKS. Okay. Um, and so like, I for me, I'd have to look for another provider. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so I would need either a bare either a bare OS provider or I more ideally I would love to see a Kubevert provider, um, where I could then use Arlon to deploy via Kubevert hosted on Kubernetes, <laughs> <laughs> which would be kind of fun. Yeah. All right. Maybe. So you're gonna use Argo to basically deploy everything. So you're not managing. So you're you're helm charting, or you're, you said you're using customize. So I'm what using... does that look like? Are you are you doing like a, a private GitHub or something like that? Or are you doing a local uh, Git repository to store your manifests, and then you're going to deploy with uh, Argo that way, or are you? So uh, I, I'm doing everything public uh, okay. on uh, on that repo that I that I I slacked you. So like all the all the repo configuration is going to be living there, um, and so like the goal is like, what do I need to get an operational cluster? Like and and operational for you know. More of a, from a uh, like a development platform that I can build off of. Okay. Like you know, so things like I need to, I need to ingress. I want I want this to provide you know external DNS capability because I'm there. There's some simplifying assumptions that I do. Like I'm not running my own internal DNS server. Um, yeah. Just because it's it, it's one of those things where like if you do it wrong, it's it it takes down your network. <laughs> um. So like I want to use your family's like why can't I get to this 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 website I just yeah. can't get to it right like are you running you're running a pile or something like that why can't yeah. I click these ads why can't I get tracked let me get tracked right. <laughs> <laughs> like like I've run a pie hole on my Kubernetes cluster and it's it's fun but you know at the same time it's like like why is this site not working yeah and, and it's you like you just tell your family eight dot eight dot eight dot eight right <laughs> yeah. and so like from what i'm you know i'm i'm using like i have cloudflare for managing all of my my domain names and stuff like that um and uh so like from uh an operational standpoint it just makes sense for me to use it as both as both my internal and external dns i don't i don't see a need to differentiate between the two um so like one of the things I'm going to add into my cluster is the external DNS operator, um, which adds a CRD that lets you know that and and an, and, an op, and, an, and a and a controller that looks for annotations on ingress and service objects um, uh, to automatically update my DNS um, without me having to go manage it. Um, things like Let's Encrypt. Uh, I want to use that. So you can have real domains for Let's Encrypt without using like a, a mm. host file. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, like and so the, the fun thing about using um, Cloudflare as my external, as my, as my, both my internal and external DNS is that it allows me to do the, uh, the uh, DNS01 challenge instead of the HTTP challenge. So I don't have to okay. worry about having an external site. Yes. 
um you know we're sitting there just watching watching it come up uh when you're when you're doing it uh and making sure that it actually mm -hmm. does that so when it when it comes up originally like it, it shows that in the uh in kubernetes and then it'll go away and then your real domain will come up right like mm -hmm. Well, and so the other, there's big. also another aspect too. Is like uh, I've also considered um, possibly we'll say, running DNS one's faster, right? I mean, HTTP one's fast, kind of, but like DNS one's gonna be faster because something has to come up for HTTP one. There's also a secondary advantage to it is that you don't have to expose your service on HTTP. Oh, that's true. Yep. So you're um, not like you're not sharing the file on eighty so that it can actually test against it. You're yeah. just yeah. But that, that means you're showing ownership of the domain instead of ownership of the. You're like, proving that you have control of the domain. Yeah. And and so then they then they issue you a cert. So, um, the the one of the fun things that uh, that enables you to do is like if you've got that if and Cloudflare DNS is is cheap. It's like it's free. Um, you know, mo mo all of this I'm doing with their free product, and I'm just having them be my registrar. So I gotcha. uh, I just have them I pay my registration fees to ICANN through them, which is like eight dollars a uh, eight dollars a year, and then I get a fantastic API for managing all of my DNS. That's pretty nice. Yeah. All right. So um, so you've got that set up. We'll see what's moving on next. So what are you actually going to write anything to run on there, or you've already got all the applications and stuff uh, pretty much written, or you're using like third-party stuff or stuff? For the most part, I'm using third-party stuff. So I'm like gotcha. spinning up stuff. Like eventually, I may end up write uh, like one thing that I want to start working on is I want to move my my. I currently have an apt mirror solution that's based on a VM that's using a a hodgepodge of deb mirror and apt mirror um, to manage it because nobody can implement there the people who do implement um it correctly work with work in one usually work in both tools uh but the people who don't implement it correctly you know like one tool or the other will work and gotcha and so it's like well i want to move that to i want to move that into a kubernetes based after repo mirror so that i don't have to manage a vm for it like okay i, I would much rather have that be cloud native so that i can then um you know do things like manage it through using cron jobs on Kubernetes, you know. So you're going to end up putting it probably in Kubert to begin with, um, and then you want to move it to a container and then right. just like back that with a uh, a volume still in Ceph. Yeah, gotcha. Or maybe like a bucket. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Not a bucket. I mean, probably a volume because it's going to be yeah. it's going to be easier from a implementation standpoint. Um, uh, actually, I, honestly, what I'd probably end up doing is uh, I'd use a, a CephFS. So I would do NFS okay. share so that I can have the rewrite many without having to worry about, you know, hooking up block block storage on it. It's a lot of thought going into a, a home lab, right? Like, so that's it, how it actually it is. expands well, into work and stuff. Because uh, are you are you bringing any of these ideas to work? Like, hey, let's try this. I did this. Maybe. Work I mean, <laughs> there's not much I can talk about at the moment on that yeah. front. But, uh, you know, like a lot of this is a lot of this is uh, exploratory for, you know, using tools that I'm that I need that I want to gain familiarity with. So it's educating like, your opinions. It's it's giving me the background I need to have educated, informed opinions when describing like this is this is the way. Gotcha. So I'll move on <laughs> to my next question, which I think you've kind of answered. So you're testing air edge slash air gap installs basically for fun, right? Because yeah. like, you're 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 setting up your own mirrors. All right. So. I know we're getting it's getting a little bit late, so let's uh, let's move on to the next one. So, what are what are some of the tools you would recommend for users who are trying to automate their infrastructure deployment? So, like, 
someone who's just getting started or wants to set up a home lab, what kind of tools would you say to start out with? Like you're, you're customized before Helm, you know? Uh... I mean, as, as, as far as getting set up, I mean, like understand the base operating system because everything, all of the, all of Kubernetes, all of, all of, uh, you know, Docker, everything runs on top of the base operating system. So like my approach to infrastructure is that if I don't have a consistent image that's the same on every single machine VM server that I'm deploying, um, that's causing me pain, right? Like all of my all of my machines should be updated to the same version of, of the package. They should all update like clockwork. And that's a lot um, easier with cloud images, right? Like than it is with just installing off of a uh, a CD ROM or something like that. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot easier. I mean, there's 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 a ton of stuff which is taken from you. But this 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 applies to cloud as well. So like if you're if you're running an Ubuntu image in in the cloud, yeah, they'll they'll do a lot of security updates for you. But you know, it's up to you to once you once you spin that up to build a process that either replaces that image on a regular basis um, or um, with, with a newer version of that image or does the care and feeding for it. So say once you get your tools all set up and everything, what you're going to start doing is deploy everything, break it, and then do it again. Like you're yep. basically going to go in there and delete everything on the, on the worker nodes and see if you can like bring it back up and how fast it can come back up. I mean, right, like I, I, have a, I have an Ansible playbook at work that I use for spinning up a... Uh, an Amazon, uh, an AWS VPC, an Internet Gateway, NAT Gateway, uh, two subnets, one public, one private. Um, so the public one is the only one that you can put, you know, internet accessible machines on, and the other one doesn't have any access to the internet except through the NAT Gateway. Um, sets up route tables, sets up, um, you know, uh, security groups, sets up IAM roles so that I can have private IPs shift between machines and have the machines be responsible for doing that without having to give them dedicated credentials. Um, and it spins all this up and I can, I can, I can say, I want five worker nodes, five uh, control plane nodes. And I say, go. And it spins everything up and sets up SSH proxy, um, uh, sets up Ansible. I, I set, have my setups, uh, in my on my machine so that I can do Ansible via SSH proxy. Okay. So all of my connections to the private subnet uh, go through the SSH proxy and 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 it proxies the connection to the actual machine. So so you don't, have you written your own chaos type thing? You call it Chaos Rye or Chaos Esten? Uh, <laughs> there, there, there are good products out there that do that do yeah, chaos yeah. engineering. There's I mean there's Gremlin and then there's I think there's a couple of open source ones. But like all of this is really just like, how do I build systems? Like, yeah. I, I can't stress this enough that the DevOps engineer has to look at it from a systemic approach. I know, like it, you need to you need to you know pick your hardware. Your hardware is going to be the a bottleneck, right? As you start, as, as one of the things that I, I spent like on Labor Day, I woke up I woke up at like five in the morning for some reason. I can't. I, I don't even know why. Sales. You know, I wasn't even say I wasn't even shopping, <laughs> and like, but I got up and I'm like, okay, I want to go dig into Ceph, and like, and as I'm digging into Ceph, I'm like, okay, well, the 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 enemy of Ceph is network latency. Yeah, like if you have any type of network latency, it's going to impact your IOPS. Slow disks, and, failing disks, and network latency. 
I mean, but yeah, network latency is the biggest one though. Yeah. You can have slow disks. But eventually be consistent. Yeah. But but they'll they'll but even those slow disks will be faster than your network if there's any latency. Yeah. Um, and so the you know, the idea is like when I, as I'm looking at this, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some benchmarking of my network interfaces and my network configure and my network stack configuration and the hard drives that I'm putting into this so that I get an understanding of how are these things performing before I so start we, building on top of them. We skipped networking. We didn't even ask what uh what kind of uh, networking do you have set up at like one gig, ten gig? So, what are you doing so for far? Home? It's gigabit. Gigabit. Um, but I've been contemplating introducing 10 gigabit. Um, Fine, you go right up to 40. Like, what are you doing? I'm just gonna... <laughs> expensive. Very expensive, yes. <laughs> if work will buy it for me, I will yeah. do it. <laughs> oh, you would you would definitely use it if you could get one. Like maybe in the next like five years you'll start seeing those show up on eBay for a little bit cheaper, right? But then even the cabling yeah. can be kind of expensive, right? Like moving over. Well, exactly. Um, you're you're looking at you're looking at all of the cabling and all of the management, and so like and the other aspect of it is the question of for my use case is it ne is it is it necessary? Yeah. Right. Not yet. Not, I mean, eventually, if you start may, figuring out your network's too be. slow for stuff. And that, and that's and but that's one of the things is like I need to understand what that performance is of what my existing hardware is before I can make that educated decision on like, do I invest in ten gig? See, as your devices start getting like the new uh, iPhone, bigger and bigger cameras, and those files get bigger and bigger, and your family starts saying, "Why is this taking so long to upload?" And then, like, mm -hmm. where's it going? <laughs> and you're like, "Okay, we need a faster network locally, I guess." Well, I mean, and but, I mean, but I, I, again, at the same time, like Wi-Fi six won't won't exceed gigabit connections. Gotcha. Right, and and so like that's you know, uh, okay, if I'm you're sure. not hooked up to if you're not hooked to the wire, your 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 limiting factor is going to be that Wi-Fi. You don't have lightning to Ethernet cables like hooked up so that your family can upload pictures no. eventually. Okay, I, I don't have any iPhones. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, the the pixels and stuff too are, are getting there. So let's go to let's go. Okay, so ArgoCon's coming up. So uh, obviously you've been looking at and using Argo a lot. Uh, are you excited? Uh, you think uh, it's a year of year of Argo? I mean, I'm sure people have been using it before and everything as well. But like, are you more excited? It. You know. I, I enjoy Argo. It's it, it's a it's a fun tool. The the little bit that I've been able to play with, um, it's very powerful from a standpoint of being able to um, do continuous validation that your declared state is what you wanted it to be. Yeah, I've oh, got um, a question and, real quick too from uh, from yeah. BJ on uh, YouTube. So said Eston, I want to learn to set up Ansible through SSH proxy. Do you stream or blog? I do. <laughs> so he streams. So sometimes he'll stream on the uh, platform nine, which maybe we'll get that set up and then start promoting it. And maybe we could make that one of the uh, the next ones if you're interested. But you also have a uh, blog. Yeah. So I have a, a blog. It's Eston.ry.ninja. Let me uh, put that up too, <laughs> just so you can have it. So Eston.ry.ninja. Yeah. All right. Let me make sure it's right. Let me show it. This is where some of the, his. Uh... All right. Is that right? Does that look right to you? Uh, where did you, did you drop it in Slack? Oh no, no, it's on it's on the uh, the stream. Oh, oh, I gotta go look at the captions. There we are. Uh, yes. All right, there it is. So he's got some information there about it. Um, but then yeah, we. Yeah, we... I haven't I haven't written this. I've I haven't written the SSH uh, proxy stuff, but I can I can do I can I can probably build a, a quick example for that. Actually, um, one of the one of the fun things about it is is that it's. It's very easy to do. It's uh, all you have to do is really add one variable to your 
to your uh, to the groups. The so the way I have it structured is I have my SSH proxy in one Ansible group, and then I have um, all of my nodes that I'm configuring in a separate nodes group, and then I add a um, a connection variable, and actually I can probably uh, let's see here, where is that? Um, I'll, I'll write this up. I'll, I'll I'll make a point to write this up on the on the blog and get it up on, on and get it out there. But uh, so if it's it, of a lot of interest too, we can throw it on our our uh, platform mm, blog too. If you yeah. Want. But the key is is that you set up your SSH options in in Ansible so that it, when Ansible makes the SSH connection, it's using those options, and then uh, and then the other aspect that you need to take into account is setting up your SSH config settings such that it um, passes your SSH agent um, credentials across to um, the, 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 second, the, the nodes in the private subnet. Awesome. There's, actually right, a couple, uh, there's actually a couple of really good uh, um, articles out there that I, that I came across that I used to, to leverage it. So I'll try, and, I'll try and write that up. I'm sure you'll be streaming soon too. Like we'll, we'll yeah. talk about it. We'll figure out like a stream day because I want to hop on with uh, SN and actually look at uh, the GitHub stuff that we were posting. Maybe go a little bit more in depth. So maybe we'll do that in the next like week or week or two. So mm -hmm. we'll uh, put information and then it'll also it'll be on YouTube and it'll be on Twitch uh, when we stream that. So you'll if you're following us on YouTube, you'll be able to see that. So you can yeah, like, so, follow so, subscribe. So BJ had a follow up question to that um, why do, why why do you he's curious why you think we don't see more people using Ansible. Um, I see a lot of people using Ansible. Um, uh, you know, it's. I, I, I guess our my question is if you don't see a lot of people streaming with Ansible, and I guess most of the time it's not it's not sexy. <laughs> well, it's like where does Terraform start, and then where does Ansible begin, right? Like so a lot of people like show off Terraform and they're like deploying the infrastructure and doing all that, but then Ansible is how you're going to start configuring it, right? Like so, I guess that's yeah. I, maybe they stop there before they get to that, or honestly, for me, it come like i like terraform as a tool it's it's useful especially if you are in a in a cloud first environment it's really great but where it starts to fall apart for me in my use cases is that terraform doesn't do a really good job of managing on prem and bare metal infrastructure it just it's not it's not an ideal tool for it um, and it's largely because nobody writes providers for doing dealing with bare metal because you have an infinite number of BMCs and motherboard manufacturers and, and you know hardware manufacturers. The the idea like the idea of using Terraform on bare metal was just like no, absolutely no. <laughs> I did use a Libvirt provider, but that's about it. I think that's about as far as I got. It took me a little bit to get it working. Yeah, but uh, I, that's so. And like on that note, is like there are some providers out there, but again, like my biggest beef with that is that like. It's the same beef I have with Ansible, uh, and and na name your favorite infrastructure as code provider here. The the provide the tool is only as good as the community that surrounds it. And... Like some of the Terraform uh, provider information is very lackluster in the documentation too. You're mm -hmm. like, wait, what do they mean here? And like you're guessing sometimes. I think that's the thing I ran into with like Libvirt. I mean, yeah, and and I've run into that a lot of times with Terraform too, and I've run into like undocumented bugs and stuff like that. Yeah. And I've done, I've run into the same type of things with Ansible as well. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna poo-poo on either one of them for that. Um, but what I found that I like with Ansible um, is that with one stack, and uh, I can manage both the infrastructure 
uh, like the actual bare metal infrastructure in it and the 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 actual configuration of that infrastructure. And so like what it comes down to in my mind is deciding where you're going to spend your cognitive load, right? Um, in a previous organization I worked at, we were we had a combination of Terraform, Chef, Ansible. Um, we did some PowerShell automation. We did, you know, like there was a bunch of different things. And eventually what we decided is that we wanted to um, start moving away from Chef because we were having trouble hiring for it. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's always a big question in my mind is like, can I hire people to work on this? Um, you well, know, so we had a, like a big split between like Puppet, Chef, and then Salt came along and then Ansible, like I guess Red Hat picked it up and it became even more popular. So maybe more people are, well, say so BJ, what do you see more of then, right? Like yeah. if you don't see Ansible, what, what are you often seeing uh, information about like uh, Salt, obviously not Salt, like Chef or Puppet or just Terraform? Was that the question? Like I'm seeing Terraform everywhere, but not Ansible. And while we wait for that, um, since we're we're going a little bit over time, and I'm sure you might have other stuff to do eventually, uh, <laughs> is there anything else you want to say, or uh, are you going to any conferences uh, soon, or are we gonna be able to yeah. see you live somewhere? So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into KubeCon. Um, I've been trying to work on finding time to get back on stream and and start poking around my lab, but like I think probably the biggest thing that I'm I'm waiting to waiting for is my is a is my new hardware to arrive next week. <laughs> well, say so once you get that in, let me know and I'll hop on there with you too. Now that I got the new streaming setup, I got to use it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plus, and, I can add so, some commentary for you, maybe. I'll be there yeah. So, so like the fun thing about that is that I'm I'm looking at it from a standpoint of like you know how do, how am I going to get this up and running? Like the other fun thing is the other thing about it is that I I bought consumer grade hardware for this. Yeah. Like these are these are small little NUC, you know, NUC type machines. They're not they're not like big beefy servers. They're 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 tiny machines. They 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 have an they have a SATA SATA three um, hard drive uh, port in them. So did you you pick these over over uh, pies just because pies aren't going to give you what you need, right? Like they're um, not going to give you enough. I picked these over pies because I can get these. That's true too. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Do we have another question? Register on your platform. Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Like the, uh, oh, let's see, here's BJ too. He hasn't seen a ton of content on either. Maybe you don't know where to look. Yeah. So, like on Twitch and stuff, if you're watching, like there's sometimes they, they've made a new software development uh, channel instead of just science and technology. Science and technology is going to have a lot of stuff around like Ansible and maybe some cloud stuff. I think that's where most of the people are streaming for that. But then like YouTube is probably just going to be your best bet. Just searching directly for that, like Ansible uh, guides and like getting started with Ansible, getting started with Terraform and, and that kind of stuff. Like there's there's some good stuff out there if you're looking to watch a video. Obviously, there's a lot of good documentation if you want to spend time reading. But yeah, as far as far as on YouTube, I mean, if you're looking for really, really good Ansible content, Gearling Guy is, is probably the best. Um, he has an entire series that he w walks through his book on how to get started with Ansible, where he walks through each lesson on a YouTube video and like walks you through all the steps. And, and he has really great content. His, he's got a lot of uh, uh, really good information on embedded systems and Raspberry Pis, and he does a lot of work with uh, compiling the Raspberry Pi kernels. And he's been doing a lot of really interesting stuff as it relates to um, getting playing with the Raspberry Pi compute for uh, compute for modules and using their PCI Express um, slot 
Yeah. <laughs> I can't say Ansible without Yearling, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His content is fantastic. Um, uh, he's on, he's on my short list of subscriptions. Um, you know, in, in addition to, you know, a couple of other, like, you know, um, more left-leaning, uh, uh, political news you know subscriptions <laughs> all right so let's since we're getting we're a little bit we're about like 20 minutes over time let's go ahead and like wrap it up best and thanks thanks everyone for joining um join us at ArgoCon september 19th through the 21st uh, uh 2022 in mountain view we'll be there we'll be talking about our lawn and if you're coming to kubecon yeah. in Octo in in detroit in october i uh, that's the 25th we'll both be there. through the 28th we'll both be there we'll be at the booth uh come in say hi and if there's things you want to see in the lab you know let me know Yep. And join us on Slack. So slack.platform9.io. And if you want to reach out to me directly, I'm on there. So is Esten, but here's mine. I'll have to put a caption for you next time, Esten. Yeah, mine's, right, mine's, uh, at, mine's at, at Esten Rye. I'm, 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 very, I'm, I'm very original. <laughs> reach out to either of us if you've got questions or if you want to start your journey with uh, Kubernetes uh, using uh, Platform 9. But uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for the questions, uh, BJ and others. And uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back again live next week. Um, I'll try to get more information about going live with Esten. Maybe we can do a technical stream that'll be a little bit longer. That'll just be on on, uh, twi on uh, Twitch and uh, YouTube, and that'll actually uh, share a screen and show you some technical stuff. Yeah. But uh, thanks everybody for joining. You want to say bye, uh, Esten? Yeah. Thank thank you guys for joining. I love the questions. And uh, again, please reach out if you got more ideas or, or questions or want to ask me more about my lab. I'm happy to talk. Yep. All right. See you next time.